our May sermon series we entitled, I Love Myself, with a question mark. The reason we put it with a question mark was because when you say you love yourself, it can almost sound too self-interested or selfish. How many of you know that there are people that love themselves and that's their problem? They, they, they are the center of their universe. And I put a question mark on the end of it because I didn't want people to necessarily assume or presume anything by the sermon series title, but we're going to explain why that is because Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second was as the first, that we were to love our neighbor, how? As ourselves. So we can't love our neighbor, can we? We can't reach out to our neighbors and love our neighbors appropriately until we understand what it means to appropriately love ourselves. There's an appropriate self-love. Now, we understand that in, in God's eyes, we aren't much. We, I, we get that in the sense that we've sinned, we've fallen short, we're dysfunctional, certainly imperfect. But there's a difference between loving oneself as God defines it and, and, and self-loathing. Some of us, some of us are self-loathing. We beat ourselves up a whole lot more than God would intend for us to. We should have an appropriate understanding that we were born in sin, we are sinners, and aside from the grace of God, I don't bring much to the table. But through Him, I can do all things. But we've got to love ourselves. We've got to want that. And I have just defined love, loving ourselves, as you wanting for yourself what God wants for you. There are things that God wants for you. But you've got to want what He wants for you. And this month, I think, in fact, I think the next two months, but this month is important because we're here, is the month that we are going to pursue our personal wholeness. That doesn't mean you're thinking about your neighbor. Nobody here, if you're watching on Facebook Live or if you're watching through YouTube or iTunes, hear me carefully as I say this. My wife had some revelation in this area, and I don't want you thinking, oh, I got to get it into this person's hand or this person's hand. They really need to hear this. Now, they may, and, and you can do that, but before you hand it off, you make sure you don't need to hear this. Because my guess is, I know I needed to hear this. And I know some of you well enough to know there needs to be ears to hear. All right? We're not pointing at anybody, but I got a feeling some can be very much helped. So don't hand it to someone before you say, Lord, speak to me. So can we do that and say, Lord, speak to me? Come on, say that. Lord, speak to me today. Speak to me today. Many of you know Pastor T, obviously, for years and years. Most of you don't may not know that she's got two degrees in uh, biblical studies and a bachelor's of theology. Um, she is probably a better speaker than her husband because more people want her to come speak than me. So, And you get her now for this. So I love her. I appreciate her. So I'm handing it over to you, my dear. Can we give Pastor T a hand as she comes to share with us on this subject? Thank you. All righty. Well, I'm really excited about this, uh, this topic this month. And I was telling Pastor this morning as I was watching, I was, I have to listen to some preaching before I come to church on Sunday afternoon. So, um, it's just amazing how preacher after preacher, author after author that I read are on the same subject. 
Um, Christine Kane has just written a book called Unashamed. Uh, Lisa Turkhurst, who I'm going to be referencing today, has written a book called Uninvited. Uh, James McDonald was preaching about it. John Gray was preaching about it this morning. We've got to know our identity in Christ. And if we want to do anything for the kingdom, and I think if you're at Legacy, you're tough, okay? And you want to be doing something for the kingdom, or you would be someplace else where it's easier to go to church. But you want to be here because you want to see this city saved. Okay, but we've got to do the work inside of us and get whole so that we can go out and be used of God. So, Pastor, I believe that you're being led of the Spirit on that. And so, Pastor, just, um, just started off with the verse. We'll just put it up on the screen, which is Mark 12, 30 and 31. We'll just read it again. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus himself said there was no greater commandment than to love the Lord and then to love the neighbor, our neighbor as ourself. Now, I started thinking about this. With all of the idolatry that is, op- that is, um, that is offered to us, whether it be sports or success or money or we live at the beach or entertainment, it's hard enough to make sure that we're loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, much less the people around us, especially the difficult people. Can I get an amen? All right. We won't, don't point any fingers, okay? Um, but the Lord doesn't suggest this to us. He commands it. He commands it. He commands it. So it's pretty important. But as Pastor pointed out, there's a part of that commandment that says to love them as we love ourselves. So my question to you today is obviously, do you love yourself? And I entitled this message, Live Loved, which is when I heard that song on the radio this week. I had never heard that before. Live like you're loved, walk like you're free. I asked Pastor Brad, and he did such an amazing job. Thank you, Pastor Brad, singing that today. But um, most of you know me, but what you don't know about me is that for the last 19 months, okay, so basically about the time we left for Indiana, I have been on a full-fledged search for my wholeness. It's been intense, extremely intense, because I am wanting to get this thing over with. Okay, I'm wanting to get whole. I'm, I'm done fighting the devil. I, I'm, I, he's making me mad now. Okay, so I'm, I'm ready to get this done. But now, many of you have known me. Some of you, Wally and Maria, were with us the very first day we came to Charleston. Um, I, I think Andrew and Bill were there. And uh, so you, some of you have known that I have been on a journey for wholeness for a, as long as you've known me. I mean, remember doing Beth Moore, Breaking Free, I mean, back at James Island. I mean, we, we have been looking for wholeness for a long, long time. Um, and so, but some of you don't really know my story, so I'm just going to give the, believe me, this is like the two-minute version versus the five-hour version. Um, I grew up in what... I thought, and people would have said, was a Christian home. But really, it wasn't a Christian home. It was a religious home. It was an extremely legalistic home. But it was not a Christ-centered home. Abuse was an everyday occurrence in my house. Verbal and emotional every day. Physical, pretty much, eh, three out of five. And then when I became about 11 or 12, as I have been thinking back over the years, 
I believe that's when my father began to sexually abuse me. And so um, everybody loved my dad. Now imagine this. You're living in a house where abuse is every day, where there is screaming and throwing things and beatings. I don't mean slapping around. I mean getting out the broom and beating you and your mom within an inch of your life. Some of you, I know Beverly knows of the type of thing I'm talking about, Maria as well. And yet your dad is in the ministry. And yet your dad is a minister of music. And he is a sought after song evangelist in our denomination. Everybody thought my dad was the greatest guy. The problem is they just didn't know who I lived with. They didn't know that dad. And then in 1980, I went away to a denominational college, and I was 18 years old, and in September of 1980, I entered Dr. Larry Fine's Intro to Psychology class. And in that class, I never will forget, it was one of those big classes where, you know, they have like, everybody has to take that class, so there's like 150 people in the, in the class. And they were sitting there, and I was, I was always a good student, so I was probably on about row two or three, maybe on row one, knowing me. Um, but I was right there, and he began to describe abuse. And especially, he went into sexual abuse. And I could hear my classmates behind me going, <gasps> and putting their hand over their mouth, and, and clasping their head, and going, oh my God, how terrible. And it was at that moment, for the very first time, that I even knew I had been sexually molested. Now you think, how in the world could you be 18 years old and not know that? You gotta remember, in 1980, people weren't talking about that. There was no darkness to light being taught in public schools. You, whatever happened at your house, you kept it secret. But the thing is, I was so naive that I didn't even know it was something I should be secret. Because you know me, I'm not secret about anything. And I never have been, okay? I just didn't know it was anything that needed to be told. And so on that day, in September of 1980, Dr. Fine, I went to him after class, and I'm just like a mess. And he's like, oh, dear God, we've got to get you some help. And so he and his wife began counseling. And so for many, many years, I've been walking through any door that would open to get inner healing. But back in January of 2016, and a verse, which I believe is going to come on the screen, um, Psalm 1-6 in the voice says, the journey of the righteous has been charted by the eternal. It came up on an Instagram post, and it, it literally leapt off the page for me. I had never seen Psalm 1-6 in that version. You know, it's like, the way of the righteous, God knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked shall perish. Okay, And I'm like, where, how did I miss this? Because to me, this verse said to me, God has seen you. He has not forgotten you. Because I felt like I got saved at the age of eight, and he pretty much kind of like checked me off, and I've just been wandering around running into walls ever since. And he loves me, and I'm going to go to heaven, but, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the rest. But that day, this is just, y'all, this is just, what, a year, a year and a half ago. This revelation just jumped off the page at me that he is charting my course. He has not forsaken me. He knows exactly where I am at every moment. So I've been, so I've been seeking inner healing for years, and many of you have been there with me. How many of us have been to encounter? Raise your hand. All right. How many of us have been to 42 encounters? Raise your hand. I, Pastor and I have been to 44 encounters, okay? All right. Um, and remember, as we were going through encounter, can I walk a little bit, Brad? Okay. Um, 
we had that onion illustration. Remember, like our life is like an onion. And every weekend that we'd go to encounter, we'd say that the Lord is peeling back the onion. And sometimes we're like, oh, Jesus, just stop. I don't know that I can take it anymore. And he would stop because he, he is gracious and he would give us as much as we could take. And I remember Merle, she's like, girl, I got to come back to encounter. We'd be going back the next time, waiting for the next layers to be peeled off. And so that's what God had been doing. So because our souls are broken and what the core is that we're trying to get down to is our very soul. And two years ago, if you would have asked me, Trace, have you dealt with everything in your life? I would have said, I have. I, I think I am good to go. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, because the thing is, soul ties. I remember when we talked about soul ties, first time I heard that down in, in Louisiana when they talked about soul ties, Pastor, Pastor Kevin, I was like, okay, I got that revelation. Check that off. And then there were word curses. Check that off. Unforgiveness. And y'all, you know, I had to fight on that one a little bit. Okay, and y'all were there with me. You were walking me, helping me through, and you were, I was helping you through. The unforgiveness took a little bit of while to uh, for, forgive my daddy, but I did. Rejection. See, I thought I'd gotten rid of that one, Brad. After all, I had taught 42 encounters. But the Lord decided that Tracy needed to get to the core of the hurt and the wound and the festering sore, not to be disgusting, that kept oozing out with the nasty stuff, not all the time, but just every once in a while. And so he decided that he thought Indiana would be a really good place for this emergency room triage to begin, okay? So, but before I tell you this exciting story, let me just read an excerpt out of Lisa Turkhurst's book, Uninvited. How many of you girls have that book? Do you have that book yet? Oh, Dot, is it not amazing? Okay, Kaylin's coming home in two weeks. I'm like, girl, we are doing this book, okay? And ladies, we will be doing this study together, okay? We're believing for our own permanent location here pretty soon. We'll be doing a study. Well, let me just read this. This is Lisa Turkus. She is the uh, president of Proverbs 31 woman, if you, know, if you don't know who she is. She lives up in North Carolina. If you want to know what's really inside a person, listen carefully to the words she speaks. Recently, the Lord made sure I had an acute awareness of some of my own words and what they reveal. Hence of the misalignment between what's true and what I believe about myself leaked out one day at the airport. There's nothing like a serious dose of stress mixed with an extreme time crunch that makes a person's mouth forgets its filter. What you really think spills out in words a little too raw and forces you to take a look at where they came from. There I stood, staring into an empty car trunk just outside the terminal, as a stabbing realization made my heart beat fast and my thoughts swirl. I had my itinerary, I had my driver's license, I had plans to get home, but I also had a rather inconvenient realization. I didn't have my luggage. Somehow it hadn't made it into the trunk of the car. I thought somebody else picked it up. They thought I picked it up. So there's that. Quickly, I called a friend who was still at the hotel. I breathlessly told her my situation and asked that she would throw it onto the next shuttle heading to the airport with one minor detail. I only had 15 minutes to check in my bags before the airline would no longer take it. Who shows up at the airport without their luggage? I paced back and forth, willing the shuttle van to speed. But then I quickly repented because my rule-following brain made me. 
Mentally, I was beating myself up and recounting why in heaven I hadn't made sure I had my luggage. I checked my watch. Things were not looking good. The bus had more miles to go than I had time to wait. Ugh. I walked out. <laughs> I walked over to the check-in counter that was outside the terminal, and I pleaded in a high-pitched, desperate voice, I know you don't work for the airline I'm flying, but your company is merging with mine soon, so is there any way I can check my baggage in here as soon as it pulls up at the curb, and you can just work on it with your little computer? Please? Yes? No, he said. Our computer systems aren't merged yet. Bummer. Absolute stinking bummer. And then I started to do what I often do when life refuses to cooperate with me. I start talking to myself. Frustration lilted and lifted from my nerves right out of my mouth. I'm just such an idiot. I invite so much unnecessary drama and complication into my life because my pace and my brain aren't in sync. I mean, seriously, what is wrong with my brain? The luggage man made an abrupt about face and extended his arm as if to say, stop. Not in my presence, he said. Not in my presence will you talk about yourself that way. Absolutely not. His command startled me. His words stopped me. And suddenly I wondered if I was having conversation with an angel. And then he said, spit happens, woman. Of course, he didn't say spit. He said that other word. You know, that one. Okay. And I said, for a moment, I thought, well, Lord, my angel cusses. <laughs> no, he was not a divine presence, but some of his words really were. Funny story, huh? Now, let me tell you my story about my mouth revealing my heart. So we're living in Indiana, and I'm teaching a Tuesday morning Bible study, and there are like 95 women showing up at this Bible study. I'm like rocking it. Yeah, it's so awesome. And I'm up there being me. And I'll get this, ladies. I'm teaching. If, you, if you've taken the study, raise your hand. Believing God. Beth Moore, raise your hand. Okay, Lord, uh, ladies, what, what are the five things of believing God? God is who he says he is. God can do what he says he can do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's word is alive and active in me. I'm believing God. I'm teaching believing God. Now, hold that in your thought for a second. And I'm up there. And then Luke 6.45 happens. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I didn't know it. I was just being transparent. I'm just telling my stuff. I'm just telling about my life. And, you know, and I'm crying a little bit because, little bit, you know, I cry all the time. I'll probably cry before this is over with today. And then afterwards, after several weeks, this lady named Denise Recker came up to me. And she said, oh, Pastor Tracy, I'm just loving this class. I am loving your teaching. And I just want to know if I could take you to lunch. And I thought, well, bless your heart. Of course you can. She goes, okay, next week, let's go. I was like, all right. So we get to driving to lunch, and she says to me, I just absolutely love your transparency. I'm like, thanks. And then she goes, but you know what? I can tell you're still kind of wounded. So I put on the pastor's wife face. Well, 
Bless you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> uh, no, really, I'm good. I've, I've taught 42 encounters. I'm, I'm really good. I'm really good. And she's like, no, 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 I don't think you are. I don't think you are. And I'm thinking, I'm in the car with this woman, and I want to get out. But I can't get out, and I can't act like I'm not a pastor's wife, so I have to be nice. So here we are. She drives me to the Cheesecake Factory, and I have to, here I am in front of a whole bunch of people. And she begins to talk about her life which is a horrific story that we will not have time to go into today, but it kind of tops mine. And then God started dealing with me, and guess what I did? I started crying in the middle of the cheesecake factory, and I start pouring out everything about my life and about my dad and about my mom and about everything, and she says, oh, but I think I can help you. And you see... That's when Denise, who was this wonderful, godly, trained counselor, encouraged me that God has still been working on me, that all these encounters have not been in vain, and that my time with Pastor Joe Warner and finding out the scheme of the enemy and what he's been doing in my life, all that has not been wasted. It's been leading up to what the Holy Spirit brought me to Indiana to finish off. Philippians 1.6. For he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now, one of those songs we sang today said something about the plan could have some pain in it. And when God says it's time to deal with some stuff and he gets the shovel out and he starts digging, let me just tell you, it can be a little painful, but it's worth it. Every encounter that I had been teaching and going to had been circling the real issue, but I had never dug deep enough. Maybe it just wasn't the right time. Maybe it wasn't the right place. I remember Beverly saying, you know, it wasn't a mistake for you to go to Indiana because God did things in you and God did things in us while you were gone. Sometimes God has to take you to a new location to finish you off. Praise God. I'm okay with that. I just want to get it over with. So much like Lisa Turquist, you know, God, I mean, how many, I don't know how many are you familiar with Lisa Turquist? She's been writing books for years. I mean, she's like famous, okay? And, and, and uh, Christine Kane is famous, and she's been at Hillsong for years and doing things. But just now, and Beth Moore, I mean, and just now, after years and years of ministry, and I feel like with, with me, after years and years of ministry of God giving me revelation on certain things, I mean, some of you, I know, the revelation I had on forgiveness helped you, but it was like God is now bringing all these women to a new place of saying, girls, you got to go deeper. We got to get this stupid tape that plays in your mind cut. We got to demolish that thing. And so Lisa says this, negative self-talk was a rejection from my past that I had allowed to settle into the core. Okay, remember that onion, we're looking at the core, the core of who I am. I talked about myself in ways that I would never let somebody else do it. Hints of self-rejection laced my thoughts and poisoned my words more than I care to admit. Now, here's a powerful one on the screen right now. Self-rejection paves the landing strip for the rejection of others to arrive and pull on up to the gates of our hearts. Do we have that one? Self-rejection paves the landing strip for the rejection of others so they can just pull right on up to the gates of our lives. For years, I've been really angry at people 
who have said really hateful, ugly words to me. And Pastor Joe actually said the, the scheme that the enemy used against me was word curses, was words. My dad, I mean, I could go on and on and on for hours about the things my father has said to me. But if you can synopsize it into one thing is no one's ever going to love you because you're so fat. Okay? So that was said from my earliest remembrance. My mom telling me, I can't help it. I just don't like you as much as I like your sister. And a church lady, Barbara Mikowski, saying to me, how in the world did you and Kevin ever get together? I mean, after all, he's so smart and you're so dumb? Well, not exactly dumb, just kind of flighty. And even though I had taught about the power of the tongue at Encounters, 42, that was the door that kept reopening in my life due to what we're going to talk about next week. So please come back for version two. We're going to talk about shame. I never thought I had shame oh, until I took this little class. So I have been in a class, ladies and gentlemen, for seven months. Seven months I've been in a class every Monday night for three hours online. And that was another thing. The enemy told me that I was too stupid to go back to school. After all, when that, when that comment about Kevin's so smart and you're so, okay, even though that was like 23 years ago that was said to me, y'all, that went deep. That went deep. Because I was always told, like, oh, like you're like the little cheerleader type. I'm like, well, I could, wish I could be a cheerleader, but I was a Nazarene, so I couldn't be a cheerleader. Uh, I mean, at least I would have had something, right? Okay. Um, and that, that hit me so deep that when I would hear of even some of you going back to school, I would think, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I was smart enough to do that. Y'all, I made straight A's in college. But somehow the enemy convinced me after that comment, I wasn't smart enough to go back to school. I also think that he sent me to Indiana because he had to convince me that I needed to go deeper. And you know what? Some buttons were pushed in Indiana that I thought that button has been eliminated from the console. Oh, no. No, no, no. Somebody found it and kept going like that. But you know what? God allowed it because he knew that right there needed to be dealt with. I kept trying to pretty it up and put some makeup on it and wear some cute clothes and get the right jewelry and... People won't push that button anymore. God said, no, no, we're going to deal with that right now. And you are smart enough to go back to school. And so for seven months, for three hours, we're talking intense. <laughs> we're talking intense psychology. This is not just an inner healing class. It's a psychology slash inner healing, which really dealing more with the psyche and what when you are not developed right, it, it kind of can mess you up for a long time. But years ago, Pastor Rod Aguilard, our overseer, had a word over me. This is before he even knew me. We were just at our first NRP little gathering. He says, Tracy, you will heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. And I've always believed that my pain would not be in vain. And many of you remember that in 2004, Legacy Church had a prophetic word spoken over it that we would be a hospital and we would be known for our deliverance ministry. 
And that people, psychiatrists, I was telling this to Luke the other day, that psychiatrists and psychologists in this city would, would bring, send people to us and say, I can't do a thing with them. Y'all take them now. And that we would see them set free. But you can't do that unless you're whole. You cannot give what you do not have. And so you have to dig down to the very, very core of what's going on. Let me tell you this story. This is happening during the seven months. So we're, in, we're now in Spartanburg. So what happens is I am on FaceTime. They're all sitting in Indiana in a, in a room in Lowell, Indiana, actually, a group of women, some of them are from Livingstone, and some of them aren't, and, uh, and I'm sitting in either Spartanburg or our little apartment over here in Charleston for three hours when on FaceTime, and Kevin and the dogs are in the other room <laughs> trying to keep quiet, and we're dealing with this stuff, and while this is happening in Spartanburg, my mom and dad, we live in their house, uh, my dad's passed away, and my, and my mom is now, and we had to put her in assisted living not too long ago, and so we're, we're living there, until we get our new house built in Charleston. Yay. I haven't told you about that. Okay. That's off to the side later. Um, but, um, and every time I would walk in the master bathroom, y'all, it would just, the smell would knock you over. And so I'm in there with the pine saw, Beverly. I'm in there cleaning that thing. I'm down on my hands and knees. I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning. And I would, and as soon as the pine saw smell would evaporate, it was back. And I'm like, what in the world? Well, my dad was very heavy, 400 pounds. And so I'm thinking there's probably something wrong with the toilet, okay? So we have the plumber come out. He replaces the toilet. He says, yeah, the seal was broken. That's probably where the smell was coming from. We're like, okay. So he leaves. I clean, 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 wash the, brush the rugs, do everything. Get up the next morning, walk in the bathroom, boom, smell, smack you right in the face again. I'm like, what in the world? So the floor, the laminate floor had started to kind of pull up away around the toilet. And so I was talking to my sister about it because she handles my mom's finances. And so my sister came over and she was like, yeah, we're, we're just going to get this place, this, car, this uh, floor replaced. So when you and Kevin are in Charleston this weekend, we'll do it. I get a phone call from my sister. She's like, you are not going to believe it. I was like, what? She goes, you're not going to believe what was under that floor. I was like, What? She's like, Tracy, <laughs> Tracy in her southern accent. Tracy, when you pulled up that laminate and then we pulled up the subfloor, there was a herd or a flock or a whatever you call them of maggots all over the bathroom floor. And I said, you mean every time I stepped out of that shower, I was stepping on maggots? She's like, yeah. I said, every time I got out of the tub, I was stepping on maggots? Every time I tried to go to the bathroom, I was stepping on maggots? And she said, yes. And right then the Holy Spirit said, girl, that right there will preach. How many times do we have death in the foundation of our lives. We're trying to clean up the outside. We're, we're being obedient. I mean, Lord, I was legalistic. No pants, no, no makeup, no cutting your hair, no wearing earrings, no wearing nail polish, no wearing open-toed shoes. I mean, everything I got on, I couldn't have worn, okay? Um, so, I mean, woo, no sleeveless shirts. I mean, woo. I said, here's my deal. When I was skinny enough to wear a sleeveless shirt, I couldn't. 
and now I can, and I ain't skinny enough. I mean, that just something's wrong with that. But anyway, another subject. Okay, um, so God just said, you see, that represents your life. That bathroom represents not only my life, but so many of our lives. We have death at the foundation, and we have tried and tried and tried for years to clean it up. Now, here's the deal. I was saved. And if I died, I'd gone to heaven. This is not a salvation issue, folks. This is an abundant life issue. Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. He did not come. Let me get this the way he told me to say it. He did not come that we could get saved, wait for heaven while we are experiencing depression, anxiety, and torment in this life. Encounters have been great. They have been anointed. They have been helpful to all of us. And for some of the areas of my life, the cleaning and disinfecting of those weekends was enough. It was sufficient. As I said, the soul ties, gone. The generational curses, gone. Even the unforgiveness, gone. But for me, this class has revealed to me that the very foundation of my life has been built so incorrectly that I have not been functioning ever in the whole time I've been your pastor's wife, I have not been functioning at my full capacity because of a faulty foundation. And I just have to believe that if it's true for me, it's got to be true for some of you in this room. I would go to encounter, and y'all, you know me. I'd go in there like, Lord, I am serious as a train wreck. I mean, show me the sin in my life. I mean, Beverly and I'd get in there and we'd be like, God, just show us, just show us, reveal to us. Even if it hurts our feelings, no matter what it does to me, Lord, just show me the wrongness in my life so that I can get it gone. But it was deeper than that. You see, through this class, I realized that I experienced rejection from the very womb and during this class, Kevin can testify, my poor mother with her dementia, who has no filter on her mouth whatsoever, has reinforced and, and made me realize that, yeah, the things I said, she really did say that. I wasn't making it up. As she told to me just a few days ago, the worst day of my life was the day I found out I was pregnant with you. Thanks, Mom. She was, oh, God, it was just, I'm like, oh, how could this be happening to me? Okay, thanks, Mom. And then she says, I didn't even care enough to name you. When you were born, I just said, I don't care. I don't care. She looked at her sister, you just name her something. I don't care. So I was named off of two soap operas, Days of Our Lives and, um, and The Doctors, which would totally explain the drama of my life. <laughs> um, but let me tell you something. I think we have the Isaiah 43.1 passage. Let's put that up. You know what the Lord says about me? <laughs> Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Okay, so my mom doesn't care what I'm named. It's all right, because God knew. God knew me before I was in her womb. He knew me before the day she conceived me. And it wasn't the worst day. It was the best day. Because Priscilla, Priscilla Houston gave me a shirt that says, I am God's favorite. So I just, okay, so it's true because Priscilla told me. So, okay. So sorry for the rest of you, but okay. But let me tell you this one. I love this. I found this on Pinterest. The devil, you find this one? The devil knows your name and calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Isn't that awesome? What does the enemy call you? Liar, 
adulterer, fornicator, murderer, manipulator. You know what he calls me? Pharisee. Was I a Pharisee? I sure was. I was the best. That's not who I am now. God calls me Tracy Ellen. That's what he calls me. And when he, when he says it, it sounds so much better than when my mother uses it. You know, when your mama uses both names, it usually means you're in trouble. But when God says it, it's because he loves you. And he wants you to know that he knows all your names. So for Jude, who we're going to see this afternoon, he calls him Jude Clayton Carey Baird. He knows all of his names. I love God's timing. This week as I was studying for this, on my, on my phone, on my Facebook account, something came up from Pastor James McDonald. Okay, I don't agree with him on everything theologically, but I'm telling you, he's a good preacher. <laughs> and this, he was talking about, we've got to know who we are in Christ. So here the message coming right back at me. You've got to know who you are in Christ. So let me just read to you. I wrote it down verbatim what he said. As God's son or daughter, you should never doubt his love for you or his delight in you. I love that. Y'all, my parents have never once in my life remembered my birthday. Never. They don't remember my sisters either, so that does give me a little solace there. Um, but when, just think that God delights in you. I mean, that's like he plans for your birthday. He thinks about your Christmas present months ahead of time. I've never had that in my earthly family. I do now with this family. And as a child, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you, how your day has gone, okay, some of us beat ourselves up because we just lost it before we came to church. Here we go. No matter how your day has gone, he loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate you from that love. It's not based on your performance, so you can't improve by being good. And you didn't earn it by your performance, so you can't lose it by falling or failing. I love that. Get up and run to Abba Father. Don't cower in fear. That's not a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I love that song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Lisa Turkhurst says it this way, and I think this is on the screen. God's love isn't based on me. It's simply placed on me. And it's the place from which I should live. Loved. Isn't that good? So do you live like you're loved? When crisis hits you, when storms come, financially, relationally, physically, do you react in a loved child of God way. In life skills over these last seven months, we have learned this. If I could synopsize it in one sentence, the world is going to be the world and people are going to be people and they're going to continue to be jerks. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you sick and tired of letting them make you sick and tired? Or are you ready to deal with the foundations that cause you to be pushed by the grocery store clerk and the person in the church and the person you work with and the neighbor next door who yells at you for putting your garage, your uh, 
trash can out. I mean, just the slightest little thing sometimes sets us off. The world's not going to change, folks. That's what I've learned. I've all, all these years, I have been trying to get y'all to act right so that I would feel better at my, about myself. Not just you as a church, but the world. My family. If I could just get my mom to stop being mean to me, I could feel good about myself. My mom's not going to stop feeling being mean to me. She's got dementia. What's really in her heart is going to continue to come out. But now, when she says it, I just go, okay, mama, bye, see you later. And I walk out the door, and I just go, okay, Jesus, but you love me. And you think I'm cool. And you know my name. And I'm your favorite. It's all about the reactions. You see, we can all have Christian actions because actions are premeditated. Okay? When I'm going to be ready to go, even to a difficult situation, Pastor, I might be going into a counseling session, and we know this could get a little intense, okay? And so in our minds, we're like, we've prayed, we're like geared up, okay? No matter what they say, we're going to stay cool, okay? So, so you, can, you, can, you can keep it together because you have, it's an action. It's the reactions that reveal what's really in your heart. The reactions, where did I write that down? I'll just, I don't know where it's at, so I'll just say it. Like, you know, at the grocery store line. Or when the waiter does not come to your table, he circles your table like five times and he never comes. And you're like, hey, excuse me. Um, can, you cool, keep, can you keep your cool? So let me repeat my question to you. When crisis hits you, when storms come financially, relationally, physically, do you react like a loved child of God? Or do you react in fear? in blame shifting, in retaliation, in taking matters into our own hands. Because that's what people who don't know that they have a loving, caring, protective father do. I just, that may seem simplistic to you, but let's just think about that. When we take matters into our own hands, it's because we believe God's not going to avenge us, Right? When we lose our cool, when we have a bill on the counter and we don't, and we don't know how we're going to pay it and we go into fear and, and we're having a fit and we're crying and we're acting, like, but we're, acting, we're acting like our unsaved neighbor next door as if who doesn't have anybody who's going to help him, but we're a child of God. I found this on Pinterest. Act in such a manner that you are living proof of a loving God. Our testimony. That's all we've got, folks. Our lives are our testimony. Our words can, we could preach at the world, which I have done. Believe me, I have been the Pharisee who has preached, 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 preached. Y'all, I was preaching at people in the third grade on the playground. Okay? Believe me, I was a little girl that wore the skirts, and girls would come to school with pants on. I'd be out there saying, you are going to hell. You are going to hell. Now, I know that's crazy. And I wouldn't do that now, but I have not, I have not, uh, I do not have a fear of preaching. I do not have a fear of saying the hard thing. But imagine if I could have that much passion, which I'm praying for, to go to hurting people and go, you know what, that right there, honey, you don't have to do that anymore because God loves you. And there's a better plan for you than what you're doing. Come on, let me help you. Let me help you. Instead of you are a sinner. 
that doesn't do anything. But if you think you are a sinner and you're not worthy of his love, then why would you tell somebody else that they're worthy of it? You can only give what you have. Don't you want to be whole? I want to live loved. I know Robert probably remembers this. <laughs> when I came back from Indiana, the first thing I said is, I'm going to be the kinder, gentler Tracy. Do you remember me saying that? <laughs> but see, I can't even make that happen. I can't do it to myself. It's just an act. All it is, is all it was was suppressing my anger, suppressing my perfectionism. Like, this isn't right, this isn't right. Somebody's got to change this. Okay, but I would put a smile on my face. Okay, that's still not right. And we're going to talk all about that next week in shame. If you're a perfectionist, welcome to the shame train. Okay? Because I've been on it for 54 years. Okay, I know all about it. Okay, but we're breaking. I'm hopping off that train. I was just thinking about physical sickness and it being an opportunity for an awesome testimony. And I know Linda Rutledge isn't here today, but Cindy's here. And Cindy, is Linda here? Oh, there she is. Linda, are you here? There. Hey, yeah, okay. Sorry, I couldn't see you behind Luke. Um, that Linda and Cindy, they are fighting the fight and they are doing great. And I love the way that their testimony is shining out to their doctors and their nurses. And we want to praise the Lord that the chemo and the radiation seem to be working. Praise God. But Pastor and I have a friend in Spartanburg named Joyce Witt. And she has a cancer that is fierce. And she's very transparent on Facebook about what's going on. She'll just, I'm going to the doctor today, and this is what he's saying, and this is what we're checking for, and then three hours later, it'll be on there. And we went to the doctor today, and it was all negative, and nothing is working, and but you know what? My God still reigns. And I praise him, and he's good, and I don't know what he's trying to accomplish in my life, but I'm going to praise him just the same. And then two weeks, two months later, it comes back on, and we're like, and we're all, I mean, there's, Post and post and post underneath. They're going, today's going to be the day, Joyce. Today's going to be the day. And as always, it comes back. No, it's not the day. But I'm going to praise him just the same. And she put on there this week. She's out there planting flowers in her yard, believing she's going to see them bloom. And they don't give her a month. Now, see, that's somebody who's acting in a manner that she serves a loving God. Perhaps many of you in the room today are saying, Tracy, I know that God loves me. I mean, this is a nice little message, but it's really not for me. Well, let me just tell you this. In all those years and years and years and years and years of psychiatrists and psychologists and inner healing, every time I would go to a session, they would say to me, now, Trace, are you sure that your dad has not tainted your view of God. 
and every time with just truly not just denying it, but just really thinking, no, no, I, I know Jesus loves me. And how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know me, my personality is, that's it. It's checked off and that's what I believe. And I'm not going to admit to anything else. <laughs> because I didn't know that I did until I took this class, which is what we're going to talk about next week. I'm, I'm clipping it off for that class and there's a couple times, and I'm telling you, this, this lady Denise, she's like the real deal. One week, about week, maybe 12, she's like, so... Let's go through the room. Tracy, you're in there in South Carolina. You start first. Where do you think you are, and how do you think you're doing, and where are you progressing? And I was like, oh, I, and she had this big chart, and I'm like, I think I'm about here. I started here, and I'm about there. And she went, no. I was like, what do you mean, no? She's like, honey, no. No, no, you are not that far. So, of course, I put on the pastor's wife's face. I'm like, well, bless your heart. Okay. Um, because you see, I didn't, we hadn't even come to the shame teaching yet. She knew what was coming. She knew I was going to get nailed on that lesson. And I'm just telling you, you would have t I would have told you over and over again that God loves me and that I knew that. In John 8, 32, very familiar scripture, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. John Bevere says this, it's not the truth you know that will set you free, it's the truth you know, you believe and you receive, that will set you free. This morning, even as I was having in my devotions before I came, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, he is a shield to those who put your trust, their trust in him. And in my Bible, I had trust circled. And off to the side, be confident in. So that saying, he is a shield to those who are able to be confident in him. If I walk around letting the devil kick my butt half the time, which I was for many years, then that verse does not pertain to me. That's why I don't feel like he's my shield, because I haven't put my confidence in him. I'm not trusting in him. I am trusting, okay, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but everything else is on me. My performance is on me. And when I screw up, it's on me. And when I'm good, Everybody better say I'm good. And if you don't say I'm good, I'm not going to like you anymore. And if you dare look at me cross-eyed, you're on the bad list. I hate to admit it, y'all, but you know, that's kind of how I lived life. And you loved me just the same, which gives you great rewards and crowns in heaven. But I'm just telling you, how many of you do the same thing? You think it's all about you and having a good day. If you struggle to forgive yourself or have to do penance for a few days after a major mess up like Lisa did at the airport, you haven't received God's unconditional love. If you or I use negative self-talk to motivate ourselves to lose weight, okay, you pig, get on the scale. This is the week we're doing it. You understand me? This is the week. I'm tired of looking at your fat face in the mirror. Come on, this is the week. If you do that to clean your house, okay, I mean, are you, you think it's fun for you, your whole family have to live in a pigsty like this? I mean, come on, get off your butt and do something. How about studying your Bible? 
Study to show thyself approved. A workman needs not to be ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself. Does any of that sound familiar to you? That is not the voice of God. I have mistaken it for the voice of God for a long, long time. That is not the God I serve. That's the legalistic God I grew up with. That's a shame-based mentality that we're going to talk about next week. So how do we change all this and begin to live loved? Well, I'm going to tell you the good news and the bad news. The good news is you can start. The bad news is it's going to be tough. Because you're going to have to be like me and you're going to have to say, I think I'm just pretty much screwed up from the get-go. But you know what? When we admit to that, then God can do something with us. Our foundations are faulty. Joyce Meyer said, ladies, remember me and my big mouth book? For, for change to come, you have to not only stop saying the negative, but you have to start saying the positive. So when you leave here today, I have a list of scriptures for every one of you to take home. And what I want you to do, and you can make a decision, if you want to, you don't have to. Kevin said some of them will just leave it in their car. Okay, that's up to you. But you can go over those scriptures. There's in different sections, and I know it would be a lot to do in one day, but just take this first section up here. Just say, you know what? Today, I'm going to read these, and I'm going to speak them over myself, and I'm going to speak them in the morning as I'm putting my makeup on or getting dressed for work, guys. And when I go to bed, the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to speak these over myself. That was very much a part of my class for the last seven months, to get positive self-talk. And that was all scriptural. I wish I could rebuild your foundation for you. But I can't, because I'm still working on mine. But this afternoon, what we can do is we can present ourselves to the master builder, Father God, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to prepay for our construction. And then he sent the Holy Spirit, the helper that Pastor talked about, to be our site engineer as we're trying to reconstruct our lives. Isn't that pretty cool? So it's all covered. You don't have to pay a dime. You just have to present yourself and read the word. The word says, be you not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I know I have preached that. Y'all have heard me. You're like, oh, I, okay, you've said that 42 times in an encounter. Okay, I did not realize I had maggots in my foundation. So now the word of God is being poured over the floorboard of my life every day. Because I'm realizing, y'all, I cannot do this. I, I was too messed up as a child to think I can do this on my own. Because I can't. So let's all stand. This is what I want us to do. This morning, I mean this afternoon, we're going to present ourselves to the Lord for reconstruction. I know that I want to be a woman who lives loved. I have determined that I'm going to live the next 33 years. I was in New Orleans speaking a couple of weeks ago, and I'm laying in the bed, and I said, Lord, how much longer do I have to live to do this right? Because I was talking about this subject in New Orleans. And I said, Lord, I've screwed up 54 years, Jesus. How long? And he said, you have at least 33 years. 
33 years is a long time. I'll be 87 years old. He's going to be 90. Okay? That's a long time to do it right. It's a long time to live loved and love people, Brad. To love them to Jesus instead of condemn them to Jesus. It's a long time to do it right. I want, and I know I won't be perfect every day. And when I'm not, I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to say, Lord, I screwed up. I'm sorry, and I'll start over. But I want my reactions in traffic, in the grocery store, with waiters, with my children, with my grandchildren, to be as a person who is loved, not as a person who checks off a box of performance every day. Because if I have to be perfect, then I'm going to make all of them be perfect. And the minute they're not perfect, I'm going to let them know it. Because that's what I do to myself. I want to live as a spirit-filled woman who knows that she has a good, good father. Now maybe for some of you, that's really easy. For me, and I know my daddy's in heaven, and I know he made it. I praise the Lord for that. But the, every time I sing that song, good, good father, the fact that you say the word good twice, it's like, Lord, you're going to have to help me comprehend what that means. Because I never had that. But I ask Brad to play one of my very, very favorite songs. And he's going to put it on. We're going to open up these altars. He is jealous for me. He loves me. You can do it at your seat. But if you want to come to the front, I kind of feel like it's taking the shovel and sticking it in the ground and saying, Lord, start the digging. because I'm going to learn what love looks like. The altars are open.